I'm going to talk about marriage today, and I was just talking to Clem. Where's Clem and Joan? Where are you guys? You were just here somewhere. You're maybe out in size hurt servant somewhere. But Clem and Joan were married on the exact same day as us, one hour apart. And guess what anniversary Clem and Joan and Mark and Suzanne have on the 17th of this month? 30 years. And so 30 years, and I say that for a reason, because... Um, Every year, Tom and Julia, every year for us has had challenges, but every year is better than the one before. I can honestly say that. Our life together now is better than we started off, and we were a bunch of dumb kids that didn't have a clue what we were doing, and uh, it's better every single year. And so I want to just talk about marriage today and say it can be, marriage can be. God's plan for marriage is that marriage is the most blessed, enjoyable wonderful experience in your life. That's God's plan for marriage. Now, I know we live in a world that's corrupted by sin, and we're all people that are broken, and because of that, we mesh together, and there's a lot of challenges a lot of times, and I'm not saying marriage is easy, but if we do marriage God's way, and we live our lives, not just marriage, live our lives God's way, um, God's plan is that we have this wonderful, blessed experience living with us, so with with him. So what I want to do is I want to talk about four principles today that will be directed to Tom and Julia, but also will apply to all of us um, in our lives as I talk about marriage and believing that if we'll live according to these things, we'll really have um, a great existence and a great life. And so to find the first point we're going to look at today, if you have a Bible, you can open to Genesis chapter 2, the very beginning. If you're visiting, in front of you, there's Bibles underneath your chairs. You're welcome to grab one if you want. And if you don't own a Bible, take it home with you. It's our gift to you. Um, one of our greatest things, one of my greatest joys is having to buy more Bibles. And so uh, if you take them home, we just buy more and put them in a rack for the next person. And so in the very beginning, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, we're going to look at the second verse to start with. And in a minute, we're going to look at the first, the first chapter. We're going to look at the second chapter now and the first chapter in a minute. And so I just want to talk about one verse to start off to get our first point, um, first principle about marriage, from Genesis chapter 2, verse uh, verse 24. And it says this, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now this was written just after God and Adam had been in the Garden of Eden, and Adam was, remember what job Adam had? Adam's job was to name all the animals with God. And they go around and name the animals. And it says in the, in the text, right around what we just read, it says that there was no suitable partner found for Adam. So it says that God made Adam go to sleep and took his rib and fashioned Eve and made Eve. And, and God says to the two of them, right after the introduction of the two, he says this verse. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now, from that very verse, there's maybe a couple different things we could talk about and think about, but there's one principle primarily that I want to pull from that verse today that I think is super important for all marriage um, to be successful, and it's this. It's God's plan that once you are married, that the most important relationship in your life is your spouse. And it's God's plan that your spouse is your number one most important relationship in your life. Look what God says here. For this reason, God says, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. What God is doing here in the very, so it's the first book of the Bible, right? Talking about the first creation of man, and he lays down a principle for humankind. 
And what he's doing in the principle is he's setting up a priority that we will follow and always follow as we walk with God. He's establishing this priority, saying this, that your spouse comes before everybody else. Matter of fact, you're supposed to literally distance yourself in some capacity from everybody else to now live into this new union of being husband and wife. He says you're supposed to distance yourself in some capacity. Doesn't mean you shouldn't still love them and be related to them, but should say that your principle now is that, that your marriage union is now the most important and you should distance yourself in some way and make this most important by even distancing yourself from mom and distancing yourself from dad, distancing yourself from kids. Now imagine that. Kids are going to come, but he says kids, marriage is still supposed to be number one. Somehow it's supposed to be more important than family than friends. Somehow this marriage union is supposed to be more important than your coworkers that this marriage relationship is now supposed to be your priority. And because of that, what he's insinuating is this, that your best, if it's most important, then your best should be given to your spouse. The best of your love, the best of your time, the best of your attention, because you should all have a shirt on when you're married that says, he or she's my number one with an arrow pointing next to the person who's walking through life with you. Now, it sounds real easy on your wedding day, to go, of course, she will be number one. He will be number one. Easy to accomplish. Has anybody been married more than five minutes and tell you that's not so easy to accomplish? Right? It's not so easy to accomplish. Um, think about it. Don't we often give our best to others and we give our leftovers to our spouse? That's what happens very much in just the, our everyday workaday world. You know, after the kids are cared for and after my work is done and after I've done my thing, whatever my thing is, you know, softball or fishing, fishing, right? I love fishing. Um, after all of those things, um, then off, sometimes if we're not careful, our spouse gets what's left over. They get the tired, wrung out person that's left over for the kiss before you go to bed and fall exhausted under your, under your pillow. That's kind of the way it works a lot of times. Listen to me. There's a danger in living that way. You see, what's going to happen? Here's the reality of all of our lives. No matter how young you are or old you are, you think that, that, that life is going to kind of be like it is. No, any, the only consistency in life is that everything changes. Change is the only constant in life. And one day, someday, those kids that occupied all their time will be gone. And they'll, they'll grow. Yeah, hopefully they grow and go. You know, and the job that you gave all that attention to will be over. And the day you retire, they will have your job posted and filled before you even get out the parking lot just about, you know. And those activities that seem so important right now in life suddenly don't really seem all that important because, you know, your back hurts too much to do it. And what do you have left if you're lucky? If you're lucky, what do you have left? You have your spouse. And what I've observed is that if your spouse isn't the main priority early on in the marriage and in the middle years of your marriage, that you won't enjoy being together very much in the latter years of your marriage. And what I see, if you don't have that priority, if everything else takes priority and and the spouse gets a leftover, you get one of two things at the end. Either you just exist together two strangers bumping around in the house together or you're just not even together at all. That's kind of what happens. So make it a priority today for Tom and Julia, but for every one of you who's married, 
make it a priority today that my spouse is going to be the most important one in my life, that they deserve my best, and I want to move towards that no matter what adjustments I need to make in my life. So that's the first principle we see from Scripture. Let's look at, let's look at some more, but the next two are going to come out of um, the, the chapter 1 of Genesis. So if you've got Genesis open there, just flip over one page to Genesis chapter 1, like probably the first page of your entire Bible. And we're going to look at a couple verses here that are going to give us some more principles about marriage. So look at Genesis 1. Look at verses 26 to 28. It says, then God said. Who said? Should we listen to that? Then God said. Does it say, then Mark said. Does it say that? No. If it said, then Mark said, you can go, well, he's not a very sharp guy. I'm not going to listen to him. But it says, then God said. Then God said. Let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And we'll stop right there. The first thing, which is our second principle, that comes from this this statement that we just read. It says, In the image of God, He created Him. Male and female, He created them. Now, what was going on? We put this in context. God was in the business of creating here. He's He's creating everything. He created the world, he created the trees, he created the animals. He goes in another section in Genesis through all of that creation. It says, then he created mankind. And it says that mankind was unique and distinct from all the rest of the creation because unlike the animals or the trees or or the lakes and the rivers, he created mankind how? In his image, yes. In his image, he created them. In other words, there are things about mankind that resemble and reveal God. That there's likenesses between humankind and God. And this makes mankind unique. It places mankind above the rest of creation. Little sidebar, it's how you can know for sure you didn't evolve from a monkey because mankind is unique and above the rest of creation because we bear the image of God. Now we notice what it says about how he accomplished, created mankind in his image. It's very important. A lot of times people overlook this. Look at, look at what it says about how he accomplished creating mankind in, in his image. It says, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The image of God in mankind is expressed by God creating mankind as male and female. That together we most perfectly reveal the image of God. They say, well, Pastor Mark, why is that important today as we're thinking about marriage? Because it reveals something that in this culture, culture swings in a pendulum back and forth about the topic I want to talk about. And it talks about, this is what this talks about that centers us in the middle, that it reveals co-equality. It reveals co-equality, that man and women are co-equal. 
that one is not better, one is not more important than the other. You know, in the, in the, maybe the 40s, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, there's kind of an idea that somehow men thought they were more important or, or better than women. Now the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, that at least the media swung and women somehow are more important than men. Here's what God is saying from the very beginning. You're co-equal. Man and woman are co-equal. One is not more important or more necessary or more useful or better or smarter or more godlike or more complete or more evolved, some people might say, than the other. And this has serious implications for marriage. So often when I spend time with couples that are having marriage problems, if I boil it all down, it comes to a couple things. And one of the things is this. Generally, one of the two, maybe two of the two, but one of the two really believes through their beliefs and their actions that they are more important than the other one. They really think they can do whatever they want. The other one has to just go along with it. So one generally thinks they're more important. Their needs are more important. So all their energy goes to meeting their needs and ignoring the other one. That their wants are more important. Well, it doesn't matter if we put you in debt, us in debt as a couple. I wanted to buy a new fill in the blank. And they come to me and go, Pastor Mark, we're having problems. Well, the problem is they don't understand that there's a co-equality. That from the beginning of creation, God has been shouting to us from Genesis chapter 1, the exact opposite of saying, I'm more important than you. He's been saying, you're both co-equally important. And in marriage, this is so, so important. You know, we need to be honest with each other. We need to evaluate our marriage lives. We need to evaluate our personal lives and examine some things. Examine how do we spend our time? How do we spend our resources? Does the, the looking at that reveal to us that in a marriage, it's clear that both are equally valued? Does it say that the way we spend our energy and our time and our resources say, no, everything goes just to making this one happy, and the other one says, well, I don't really matter, and feels like I don't really matter? If that's the case, what we have to do is make some changes. Each of us in marriage and in relationships should strive to show the other person that they matter. So here's the deal. You do matter. Every one of us, we do matter. But in marriage, now the other one matters just as much as you matter. And, and that's not what Mark says about it. That's what God says about it. Right? Right? All right. Let's look at the next principle. It's also from, from the same section of Scripture. Our third principle is this. Be a team player in all that you do. Be a team player in all that you do. Marriage isn't to be two individuals who just say we're making a legal arrangement for whatever reasons, financial reasons or child-rearing reasons or whatever. It's not supposed to be two individuals doing really their own thing and just coming together at night and falling in bed together so they can go to sleep. But that's how a lot of people live, kind of two strangers in the same house. Look at what God says we should do in life. Look at verse 28. It says, God blessed who? Them. God blessed them, plural, and God said to them, plural, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the birds of the sky and over every living thing on earth. You see, God's plan is for you to change the world together. He uses the plural there. He didn't say, Adam, go do it, or Eve, go do it. He said, them, combined, plural. 
His plan is for you to be a team in all that you do. And I would just say this. This is a mindset issue toward life. It's how you view life. Do you see yourself as a marriage team or do you just see yourself as, yeah, I'm married to, to that person, but I'm really doing my own life, going my own way, doing my own things, fight, you know, not working with each other, maybe even at times fighting against each other. How many times have I heard a, a husband say, yeah, I'll convince the old ball and chain of that. Have you said it yourself? Maybe? Thought it? Maybe? What does that reveal? It reveals that somehow I want to go one way and the other person wants to go the other way. What God is trying to say here is, be a team in all, you, in all you do. I'll tell you, friends, happiness in your marriage comes from understanding that you are better together. You're better together. With, with each one of you bringing your uniqueness together to create something greater than you ever could do as two individual parts, that you are better together. And then together, engaging in whatever ways the Lord makes available to you as you go through life. It's the two of you making a positive difference in the world together. Not a situation where one's a superstar and everything's about that one, but that together we make this team. That's a mindset thing. It's about how we view ourselves as part of the bigger picture of this world. You are a team and you work together and you consult each other and you care what the other one wants and does. This causes each of us then to feel valued by the other and you know that your spouse, their spouse then knows how important they are, not only to everybody else, but to you. That makes sense? Let's look at the fourth principle, the final principle. This was not from Genesis. It's this. Keep Jesus at the center of your marriage. Tom and Julia and every one of you, this is the most important thing for marriage. It's the most important thing for life. Have Jesus at the center of your life and your marriage. I kept this one for last because it's the most important. You could have all these other things straight and perfect, and yet if you miss this one, marriage and life can never be as wonderful as it was intended to be by God because God designed you and me to live in relationship with him. And the very first relationship he ever created was husband and wife. He said, I should be the center of that. You see, God created marriage um, from, the, from the very beginning with a purpose, that's why the very first thing God, after creating everything, was created marriage. There was a purpose behind it. And this was his purpose, to reveal what his love is really like. You see, you and I can't see God, but he wanted us to, to give us something tangible to grasp on how much he loves us. So he created a man and he created a woman and he brought them together in marriage. He made something that gave us emotions so that we love this other person so much that we'll abandon everybody else and cling to them. And he had a plan for that. His plan was for as we experience that and we watch it from the outside that we see an expression of the kind of love that God has for us. He's trying to reveal the reason he created marriage is to say, listen, humankind, I want you to know how much I love you, so I'll create this institution called marriage so that if you look at it, you get a little glimpse into how much I love you. But God didn't stop there. He did something else to reveal his love to us, even beyond marriage. And it's this, the Bible says this, he came himself to us, Jesus, to reveal who he is and how much he loves us. 
God himself proved his love in the ultimate way. Maybe you didn't think of this before. When we look at a cross, the cross is about the place that Jesus died. People say, what's that all about? It's about God himself saying, you know what? I revealed how much I love you through marriage, but I'm going to reveal how much I love you in even a more, a more amazing way. I myself am going to come, because Jesus was fully God, to this earth, live a perfect life, and I'm going to give my life for you. That because of the brokenness of this world, we're all broken and we're all sinful. And because of that, there's, there's, there's punishment. But God said, I don't want you to receive punishment for your sin. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the punishment out of myself and I'm going to die in your place. And that's what the cross is. He paid the price for our sin when he went to the, when he went to the cross. The Apostle Paul describes this in the letter that he wrote to the church that met in the city of Ephesus. And he said this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you, meaning he died on the cross, an offering and a sacrifice to God. The Apostle Paul says, imitate God by walking in love just like Jesus did when he died for each of us. Friends, that's the heart of marriage. That's the heart of life. Coming to know the love of God through the sacrifice of Jesus for me as an individual and then imitating that or, or repeating it through loving other people. That's what marriage is all about. That's what Christian community is all about. Life and marriage is all about knowing the love of Jesus personally and then sharing that love of Jesus with other people. You know, I can't always love my wife the way she deserves to be loved. But when Christ is in my life, he can literally love her through me. He can cause his love to grow in me, and that can be expressed to her. So the key to loving each other well is to allow the love of Jesus to grow in you and then flow through you. It all starts with Jesus, you know, coming into your life and then giving, your, giving you spiritual life when you ask him into your life, what basically happens when I say yes to Jesus is he, he breathes spiritual life into me and I become spiritually alive and then I build my relationships starting with my marriage upon that where he is the center, where he is the bedrock upon which you build. And this invitation to welcome Jesus into our lives is extended to every single person on the planet. Every single one of us. You can come to know real love and real life any day, today, by saying yes to Jesus and inviting him into your life. That's the gift that God offers to us. That's amazing, isn't it? Amen?